0: What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of b Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. And my goodness, did we pick a bad day to return to the podcast circuit here on B-Shape Daily. Returned from the family vacation in the Lake of the Ozarks on Wednesday afternoon. Cardinals play the series finale of their series against the Athletics on Wednesday night. And it went. Terribly for the Redbirds as the Oakland A's beat the Cardinals 8 nothing. I don't think it gets any lower than that. I know people have largely accepted that this Cardinals season is what it is at this point in the calendar, but man, is that a disgusting way to lose a game. 8 nothing to the Athletics, the worst team in the Major Leagues and maybe one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball history. As Oakland improves to 34-87 and with the win, the Cardinals are 54-67. and so even after the L, the Cardinals, 20 games clear of the Athletics in the standings. Yikes. But uh, tonight it was all Oakland, for as long as we get to call the Athletics that, anyway. So we'll talk about some of the performance that we saw from the Cardinals tonight. Not much about it, honestly, because of how pitiful it was in an 8 nothing defeat. But I want to get into Matthew Libertore a little bit, because previously he had a fantastic start. I think it was the last podcast we did before I went on the hiatus on the vacation talking about Libertor's performance against Tampa Bay. It was fantastic. We saw a setback tonight. What was the difference? And is there any rhyme or reason as to why we are seeing basically two versions of Matthew Libertor at various times of his Cardinals career? We'll get into that a little bit tonight and talk some other elements of pitching, some things that we may have missed too. I want to get into the injury front with the Cardinals because a lot of updates worth bringing to the table. And it could and should and almost certainly will lead to some roster moves for the Cardinals over the next couple of days because they've been playing down a number of guys. I think it's why you see a lineup fielded like the one you saw tonight. Luke and Baker was your DH. Taylor Motter was in there again at second base. And then injuries that crept in throughout the game made it even more difficult for the Cardinals to field a full lineup. So what roster moves could be coming? We'll try and get to the bottom of some of the injury updates that could be relevant for the Cardinals here moving forward. And we'll talk about some of the decisions the Cardinals may have. We'll also maybe get into the Adam Wainwright stuff a little bit before he makes his next appearance. Scheduled for Thursday night, what do we expect to see from Waino against the New York Mets as he continues to sit on 198 career wins? Man, after what happened last week. I'm glad I wasn't podcasting about the Cardinals then when he had his outing against the Royals. It was as bad as he's been all season long conversations taking place as to whether or not the Cardinals maybe continue with this path for Adam Wainwright, keeping him in the rotation. Thursday could be an instrumental moment in time when it comes to the career of Adam Wainwright and the opportunity to finish it on his terms. Could that be changing if he doesn't perform well on Thursday? We'll have a little bit of a grab bag tonight on B-Shape Daily, catching up on some of the Cardinals topics we may have missed while I was on vacation and getting right back into the swing of things for daily episodes moving forward so appreciate you guys for joining back in here with me make sure to subscribe to this channel on youtube brennan schaefer st louis cardinals writer if you're not familiar with my work i am a writer for kmov the tv station cbs affiliate in st louis i write about the cardinals for their website and i do a daily podcast called be Shape daily i also host a daily radio show on ktgr from 4 to 6 p.m weekdays that's uh, ktgr in columbia missouri but you can also listen to The Big Show, as it is titled, on ktgr.com with myself and Andy Humphrey. But welcome into this channel. It's all Cardinals talk here, so appreciate you guys for being along for the ride. Also, you're welcome to subscribe to Be Shaved Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you prefer to listen on those mediums. Thank you guys so much for being here, and let's go ahead and hop in by starting with the Matthew Libertore conversation that is going to be an uncomfortable one, especially for those who took a look into his StatCast numbers and measured the velocity on his pitches, on his fastball in particular tonight, it was not nearly what we had seen from him in his previous outing. Remember a couple of outings ago, this was dating back 10 to 12 days at this point for Matthew Libertor, he was averaging 92.9 miles per hour on the fastball. And we commented that night that it was a little bit strange to hear Ollie Marmel say that fastball velocity wasn't a concern for him as the Cardinals manager watching Libertor pitch that day when you can look through the numbers and just recognize that Libertor has been a much more effective starter when he's had that giddy-up behind his fastball. And then, sure enough, after a good pregame conversation with Andrew Kisner that we talked about on b Daily, Matthew Libertor had that going on against the Tampa Bay Rays. He was averaging around 95 miles per hour on his fastball that night, and the difference was evident. We saw eight shutout innings against the Tampa Bay Rays, and the higher velocity on his fastball just seemed to open up everything else in his arsenal for a really successful outing. Tonight, as of the first inning, you did have the fastball velocity looking sharp-ish as the game began. Hit 96 once on the gun, but everything else was below 95. A lot of 94 and change in the first inning, and then it kind of went down a little bit from there where he was sitting back closer to that 92-93 range for most of the start before really diving down toward 90-91 before exiting the game in the fifth inning without the ability to get through the fifth inning in this one for Matthew Libertor. So fastball velocity was not consistent throughout the night. The, The most damage that happened against him really did happen in the first inning, and that's not really what you want to see, but Libertor gave up six total runs, five of them earned, but again, four of the runs coming in the first inning. So I don't know how much the fastball velocity really played into it at that point in the game, but the lack of consistency, the lack of uh, just finding his way through this game on more of an economical basis, not using up so many pitches. I think he ended up around 92 pitches. Yeah, through 92 pitches, through four and a third tonight. That's kind of the version of Matthew Libertor that we had seen back in 2022 and largely for this 2023 campaign at the big league level prior to that Rays outing when everything just seemed to click into place for him. And we were wondering, did he have maybe some extra gas in the tank because he was facing the former organization, the team that drafted him, and all of the narratives that go into that? Maybe so, but you'd like to think it would be something that he could sustain. Now that he's proved it to the Rays, hey, I'm pretty good, maybe I can prove it to the rest of the league. But he got lit up tonight by the Oakland Athletics of all teams. A 10 hits allowed, 6 runs, 5 of them earned. 3 walks, if you're looking for a bright spot, did have the strikeout pitch working, had 5 strikeouts over the first four and a third innings that he threw. However, three of those strikeouts coming in the first inning struck out the side in the first despite giving up the four runs. Make of that whatever you will. It certainly was another uneven performance from Matthew Libertor, which is a shame to see, honestly, because he had maybe set himself up for the opportunity to do something more than that, and instead we saw him regress in Wednesday night's game. 6.12, the ERA now for Matthew Libertor on the season. And it takes me back to the notion that the Cardinals are going to have to fill the rotation with outside options in this offseason. I just don't think it's going to be realistic to take any number of the guys that are in the quote-unquote internal competition and say, hey, the winner of that could be our number five starter. I don't think it's the the right move for the Cardinals to go about it that way, especially now we're seeing uh, Steven Matz go on the injured list since our last podcast. That hurts uh, matters, obviously, when it comes to the certainties that you have in the Cardinals rotation. Michaelis is the only guy left standing that you would, with a pencil, put him into the 2024 rotation and say, yeah, that makes sense. Zach Thompson now taking the Steven Matt spot in the rotation. So it really is kind of a makeshift rotation as it were right now for the Cardinals with Thompson in there with Wainwright's 8.78 ERA in there. We'll talk about him a little bit before we get out of here tonight on the show, but let me know, go ahead and throw it in the comments section here on YouTube. What your thoughts are, About not only the state of the current rotation, but Adam Wainwright specifically, I feel like, is going to be a topic of conversation leading into his outing on Thursday against the New York Mets at Busch Stadium. But we're looking at this rotation now and seeing Dakota Hudson, who has fared much better recently, but even in his good outing on Tuesday, I think he only had three strikeouts in close to seven innings. Yeah, that's not really going to be the type of swing and miss that the Cardinals are looking for from him to say, oh, he is elevating himself as a pitcher This is something that we can rely upon in 2024 being different from the Dakota Hudson that the Cardinals have seen over the last year and a half or so. I think they want to see a step forward, not just in the how many innings and how many runs did you give up? And did you get enough double plays on that day to avoid damage, but more so is there something sustainable in the performance that we can project moving forward? They're looking for that from Hudson. They're looking for that from Libertor obviously, and and didn't get it in this game tonight. Looking for it from Zach Thompson should be interesting to see as well whether after a couple of nice performances from him, one in a spot start, one in relief of Adam Wainwright the other day, can Zach Thompson maybe get a little bit of that momentum toward consideration for next year's rotation? You can root for all of these guys if you're a Cardinals fan. But I would still say, no matter what you see from them, you have to, as John Mozeliak, go out and get three starting pitchers this offseason that you plan to slot in ahead of those internal competitors and then tell those guys, hey, you're still fighting for something because when somebody gets injured in spring, and it always does seem to shake out that way, then one of those internal options is very viable as your number five starter. But going into spring training, the competition between Hudson and Libertor and Zach Thompson and whoever may still be here, right, maybe some of the other prospects like Graceffo, McGreevy, DrewRom.com, who has looked really good in, in AAA so far with the Cardinals, all those guys can be thrown into a pile competing for the number six and number seven, the depth spots in the Cardinals rotation mix. That's really what it should be. Not, oh, we'll have an internal competition to see who's the number five starter. I think that's a mistake for the Cardinals to go about it that way. And while we were away, while I was on vacation, John Moselak meeting with the media in St. Louis, basically saying, hey, we agree with that sentiment. We're going to go into this offseason looking for three additional starters. I believe that was Monday where that conversation took place ahead of the homestand. And I've got the tweet here from John Denton of MLB.com who tweeted out this quote from John Mozeliak: quote, realistically, we know we have to add three starters this off season. We know we have to add depth. We went into the season thinking we would have that covered. It didn't work out that way. Having a repeat of that would not be in the best interest of the franchise. So I think our approach is going to be very aggressive on the pitching side. We'll see where it takes us. And there will be so many opportunities this off season Once October is through and we turn our attention toward the offseason and the free agency period to talk about these things and who should the Cardinals be targeting, I know those conversations are going to happen before the end of the year because really we know that this Cardinals season is stuck in the mud. It's going nowhere. So people will begin to turn their attention, rightfully so, toward how can they improve it for next year. Yeah, I get it. That's where people's attention is going to be. And there are going to be a lot of options. A lot of free agent starters to be that the Cardinals are going to have to check in on each and every one of them and then identify which ones are maybe the best options. But some things to keep in mind about that crop of free agents, if those guys have received qualifying offers and the Cardinals end up signing them thereafter, Cardinals are losing a draft pick, just like they did with Wilson Contreras last year. So you're going to hear me beating the drum this offseason for a couple of routes that don't involve the Cardinals signing free agents to basically what I would say the sticker shock price, whether it's guys like Julio Urias, who hasn't really had a great season for the Dodgers, or Blake Snell, who has had a very good season for the Padres, but guys who have both had history of injuries, of arm injuries. And you look at that and go, well, can you get a Urias for uh, maybe a discount because of a lesser season or like an Aaron Nola, who hasn't pitched particularly well this year, but has a track record? The Cardinals are going to have a hard time, I think, with some of those big-name free agents who have maybe had down seasons in 2023. First of all, compelling these players to come play in St. Louis, which is not always a given. And for those who aren't as inclined to come to the, the Cardinals and come to St. Louis, you have to probably just simply pay more, pay above market to get those guys to sign on the dotted line. That's number one. And then just the idea of all of these guys are in free agency and their agents and their representation, you're going to be looking for the maximum contract possible. You're going to pay some sticker price, even perhaps on guys who have a big name but didn't have a big recent performance to back that up. You still might have to pay for those names. And then guys like Blake Snell, who have both, who have the name, who have the cachet in their resume, and they also have a recent performance to back it up, even if injuries existed in their past, Blake Snell can go to teams and go, look, if you don't trust – that I'm going to be worth the, the market value here and uh, the, the the price that I'm going to demand, there's a team out there that's going to pay it. And so you're going to have to, as the Cardinals, compete against those other teams for the guys who are worthy of the contracts. And you have to make the decision, who do we bank on? Who do we trust in? It's going to be difficult. And it could come at a cost. And that cost is not just going to be money for certain guys. It's going to be draft pick compensation when the Cardinals have to give up their second-round pick to sign a guy who got the QO and turned it down. That being said, trade's going to be an option, and it's going to be tricky. We haven't seen John Mozeliak pull off that kind of trade yet, the kind for a controllable starter that doesn't give, on the Cardinals' side, away a player that you really would like to see in your everyday lineup for the next half decade. That's one option, though. The other is go to Japan. Look into the foreign market where guys like, Yoshi Yamamoto and Shota Imanaga are potentially going to post and come play Major League Baseball this side of the pond. And the Cardinals, I think, would be well-positioned to sign at least one of those two Japanese pitchers. And it'd be nice to sign them both. I mean, talk about you're looking for a number one and a number two in your rotation. Add both of those guys, whatever it happens to cost. If one guy is $25 million a year, if the other one's $20 million a year, Problem solved. Pay a little posting fee on top of that. But don't worry about giving up draft picks. Like, you're going to hear me beating the drum for the, the Japanese pitchers that are expected to uh, to to hit the the open market, essentially, for Major League Baseball this offseason. I feel like it would be a great fit for the Cardinals. But like I mentioned, we'll get into those conversations and cross the bridge more as we, we get closer to it. But I did want to mention it because John Moselak did come out this week. And as I read in the quote there from John Denton of MLB.com, Three starters is on the docket. It's good to hear Moselock talk in those terms. Even if you're seeing good things from Dakota Hudson, good things from Zach Thompson, hey, even if Libertor had gone out and shoved tonight, which he didn't against Oakland, even if those things are happening, I like that John Moselock is saying at least the right things at this point. Where he says, we thought we had the depth coming into this year, we were wrong, and so it clearly needs to be a different approach if we are going to go about getting to a different result it's got to be by doing something differently on this side of things. So I think Cardinals fans can look forward to an offseason that doesn't feel Cardinals-esque. Like, I already see a lot of people saying, oh, they'll they'll get a, a Quintana type, and they'll they'll get a Drew Verhagen type, and they'll call that starting depth. I don't think they can do that, and I think John Moselech now knows they can't do that. So it's going to be, in my estimation, different. But let me know what you think, Cardinals fans. Are you buying the idea that this coming winter will be different for John Moselech? for Bill DeWitt as well, because he's the one that signs the checks, is going to have to sign off on actually raising the payroll in a meaningful way. 16th ranked out of 30 is not meaningful, not for the way that Cardinals fans have supported this team over the years, and so it is going to have to change, in my opinion, for the better. you got to get back nestled into the top 10 in payroll, even if there are owners out there that are doing crazy things, like Steve Cohen in the Mets, where Bill DeWitt looks at that and says, well, thank goodness we didn't do that, because... They're having a terrible losing season. We're having one as well, but we spent half the money or whatever, maybe even uh, less ratio than that, than the crazy spending that they've put out and and didn't get any reward for that investment. The Cardinals have to spend more, but they also have to spend smart, which is going to make this the most compelling Cardinals offseason, I think, in quite some time. So make sure you hit that subscribe button on this channel because we'll be talking about it all throughout the upcoming offseason and beyond. As we see whether the roster that John Moselak and company put together actually contends for 2024. But I wanted to get some of that out because I really do think it's compelling the way that things have set up and the way that John Moselak is sticking right now to the approach where he says it's going to be different for the Cardinals heading into 2024. We know we have to address the pitching in a more meaningful way. Now, how that ultimately plays out still remains to be seen for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2024. But We'll be right here on B-Shape Daily and the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel to discuss all of it. Now, let's go ahead and discuss some of the recent injuries happening for the Cardinals. As we'll get into this from Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat, who tweeted some updates after Wednesday's game. So Tommy Edmond left the game early with an injury. Jeff says X-rays negative for Tommy Edmond. They'll see how he feels tomorrow. Lars Newtbar, though, being evaluated by doctors, he left the game early as well. This was one of those one of those that's tough to talk about. They said lower abdomen was the injury for Newtbar. If you saw the play, he was batting, fouled a ball off the ground, it bounced up, hit him in an area, and we've seen some other Cardinals players have some similar things happen. Perhaps some catchers over the past couple of years that have been hit by foul balls in an area. And, you know, it doesn't feel so good. So we'll see what that ends up being for Lars Newtbar. They've been dealing with uh, another addition of the Nolan Gorman back tightness situation that he's been out of the lineup in recent days. So that's now three guys. Yeah, I don't know. They're going to have to be some roster moves, it would seem to me, for the Cardinals. And Jeff pointing out that Moises Gomez did get lifted early from the Memphis Redbirds game On Wednesday that could be nothing it could be something but it would make sense to me that if there's something going on with an outfielder like Newt Barr that he either may need a couple of days or he may need the IL Uh, Gorman I think it's getting to be decision time with him because of the back thing that continues to flare up and that's why I say you can't that's not the only reason but you can't completely count out the idea of trading Nolan Gorman in the offseason not because he has sporadic back pain although it is a, a very big nuisance like, imagine if the Cardinals were competitive and were trying to win something this year and you were having one of your best hitters. Just, you know, every couple of weeks he misses a couple games because his, his back hurts. They can't figure out, you know, how to how to not have that continue to happen. Cardinals fans would be pulling their hair out about the situation. It doesn't really matter this year, but it does when you have a handful of guys on your roster that can't play on a, on a given day. It's going to have to be a situation where some moves are made as a result. But Moises Gomez would be an interesting guy to see, so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to get him onto the roster for Thursday. Like I said, if it's Newpar that goes to the IL, if it's Gorman, you could still bring Moises Gomez up because you've got plenty of infielders between Firmin, between Taylor Motter. Those guys were up the middle at one point tonight. I think Tommy Evan ended up going to center field after the Newpar injury, but then Edmund left himself, which left Tyler O'Neill to play center field on what was supposed to have been an off day for him. And remember last week in Tampa, he was missing some games because of the knee situation. So not the healthiest of Cardinals rosters right now, but I would be intrigued to go ahead and see what Moises Gomez has because he's a guy that if you're not ever going to bring him up anyway, there's no reason to continue having him occupy a spot on the 40-man roster. Kind of time to start just seeing what you have in some of these guys. That's been the argument that I've seen from Cardinals fans. In recent days, when they see a name like Casey Lawrence get thrown onto the St. Louis roster, and it's fair. Casey Lawrence doesn't have a future with the Cardinals, so you would think maybe they could give some other guys opportunities, but you do have to get through this season. And Casey Lawrence tonight, in relief of Libertor, finished the game in a blowout. Four and two-thirds innings, gave up two runs. One home run, it was a moonshot, but struck out four, like, we don't have to evaluate the performance of Casey Lawrence, but for folks who are going, why is Casey Lawrence on the team instead of, hey, can't the Cardinals get a look at Drew Rom? Can't the Cardinals get a look at whoever you would like to see from AAA instead, Connor Thomas, whoever it might be? This is why, because maybe they feel like, hey, Casey Lawrence, regardless of the way it goes, he can throw four and two-thirds innings, and we don't have to feel bad about it because if he throws 80 or 90 pitches, he throws 80 or 90 pitches, and he can be shuttled out the next day or the next week or the next month or if he continues to do a nice job the next year they still don't have to bring him back whereas maybe some of those other guys if circumstances aren't going so well you're not going to leave those guys that you think have a future in your organization out hang them out to dry for 60 or 70 pitches regardless of their performance level Casey Lawrence yeah that's probably somebody you can do that with and and not lose a lot of sleep over it as an organization. Sounds a little harsh, but I don't think a guy like Casey Lawrence minds it because in his eyes, he's trying to extend his career as well, and he can look at the situation and go, look, I just proved that I can handle the bulk of five innings if uh, another major league team says, oh, you know, this is a guy that's shown some chops. He's he's putting pitches on tape and, and resume and all those sorts of things to extend his career. So it works out for everybody. I just think that's... Like, the dollars and cents of it, that's the long and short of it. That's the stuff that maybe, yes, in a vacuum you can look at it and go, it would make more sense to get data on other players who the Cardinals could consider part of their future. But sometimes you just got to have your vegetables, right? And I feel like Casey Lawrence is an example of the Cardinals eating their vegetables on Wednesday, and he did a nice job. So I, I think that's one that makes perfect sense and is fine to see. Yes, everybody wants to see Mason win you'll get to see Mason win, maybe as early as this weekend. Saturday is the day that they can call him up at the earliest without exhausting the rookie eligibility based on 45 days on the MLB roster. It's got to be fewer than 45, so you will not see him before Saturday, but maybe by Saturday you see him. Or if they think, "Huh, if we call him up this soon, he would be at risk of getting 130 at-bats, which would also exhaust his rookie eligibility for 2024, and the Cardinals aren't going to do that So whenever they bring him up, it'll be because they're gaming the rookie situation, which is something that makes perfect sense to do. They won't admit that they're doing it. It's not the same as service time manipulation because Mason Wynn doesn't get anything extra out of it in terms of, you know, a year of service versus uh, less than a year of service. It's going to be all less than a year of service when they bring him up at the end of August or the beginning of September or whatever they do. But I'm going to guess that within a week of Saturday, you're going to see Mason Wynn on the St. Louis Cardinals, and that'll be something else you get to look forward to. But as for the rest of these guys, yeah, it makes sense to get some data on whoever you can get some data from. But sometimes you need four and two-thirds from Casey Lawrence, and that's what he gave the Cardinals on Wednesday. I will be curious to see how many others from the quote-unquote like young group of Memphis guys might get a look later on this year. Maybe it's Moises Gomez as early as Thursday. But really, there aren't a lot of guys in that pitching category. Drew Rahm has struck out at 18 over 11 innings and two starts with Memphis, but he still walked four guys. So is is that kind of walk issue going to continue to follow him? Four and 11 is not as bad as it was with uh, his numbers in Triple A Norfolk with the Orioles. I think he had walked like 46 guys in 80-some-odd innings. So basically was walking a guy every other inning pitched. A little bit better over the small sample with Memphis, but are you really ready to just rush him to the big leagues after... Uh, largely a struggle of a season with a 5.34 ERA before the Cardinals traded for him. Now his ERA with Memphis is like 0.82, but that's a small sample. As far as other pitchers, maybe McGreevy, maybe Graceffo. We saw Graceffo basically steal the velocity from Libertor tonight. It's like they're going back and forth. Graceffo, another guy who has not maintained consistent velocity this season, pitching for AAA Memphis, had it tonight. I saw him 96-97 with his fastball so perhaps that's something that can gain some consideration would they give graceful a look a cup of coffee toward the end of the season i have no idea but i can understand why cardinals fans would want to see more of the younger guys as time goes along largely though i think the only guy that's a guarantee is mason win he is inevitable you will see him very soon and when you do i think you're going to like what you see it's going to be something for cardinals fans to watch the rest of the way but let me know what you think. Are there other guys that you want to see come up from Memphis so the Cardinals can get a look at them? They've got a lot of 40-man roster clutter that I think is going to get moved off the roster this offseason. It doesn't have to happen yet. But if there's anybody that you're thinking, ah, they're on that borderline in terms of whether or not they could get taken in the Rule 5 draft and they'll be eligible, maybe give some opportunities to those players and it can inform your decision on whether or not to bestow upon them a 40-man roster spot this offseason. season because with the outside additions of several pitchers that are going to have to come in via free agency or trade, it would make sense to to have those ducks in a row. I'm not too concerned about it, though. The Cardinals do not even currently have a full 40-man roster. Mason Wynn will obviously add one to that within the next 10 days or so. But I just don't think 40-man concerns are like at all a thing at this point in time. It's nothing worth mentioning. You probably have, I won't say a dozen, but 10 guys on the 40-man right now that won't be in... I don't know, five or six months' time. So there will be a lot of roster turnover. That probably is what tends to happen when you have a season like the one the Cardinals are having now. But at the same time, there just isn't this big crop of guys at Memphis other than the prospects that you maybe don't want to rush along like McGreevy or Grosefo. There's not just this big group of guys that it's like, hey, they can help the big league team and let's find out they're young. They've got upside. The Cardinals farm system has taken a bit of a dip. And if the Cardinals had a bunch of those guys stowed away, I think we would have seen them already in 2023 with the idea on they would have made those moves to shake things up trying to win this year. I just think the contributions that were available from that group weren't all that impressive, and so largely you haven't seen the Cardinals dip into that well all too often, and when they have, it's been lackluster in terms of the results, but that's kind of another topic that we'll continue to keep an eye on in terms of which random dudes or which dudes that they might hope Might have a future for the Cardinals in 2024 and beyond. Which of those guys might get an opportunity the rest of the way? Definitely something to keep an eye on. One guy that we know is getting at least one more opportunity the rest of the way for the Cardinals is Adam Wainwright, who after throwing one-plus innings and allowing eight earned runs to the Kansas City Royals in his last appearance, will make his start on Thursday against the Mets. His ERA for the season is up to 878 He'll be opposed on Thursday by left-handed pitcher Jose Quintana of the New York Mets. You may recall him from the Cardinals last year. And Quintana spent a lot of the season injured. But he's come on strong since rejoining the rotation for the Mets. Has an ERA right around three. I think he'll pitch pretty well on Thursday against the Cardinals, being honest. Obviously knows this lineup relatively well, having played with them last year. And just seems like the type of lefty that could give the Cardinals lineup trouble. So we'll see what ends up materializing from that. But for Wainwright, man, it would be a huge moment to get that win number 199 because if he doesn't get it tomorrow and he pitches poorly in the process, I'm not talking about like a hard luck loss, but like another Royals level meltdown or, or a London level meltdown or when he pitched against the Rockies level meltdown. I mean, he's had a bad run of starts in the last couple of months, and I don't know how many more the Cardinals are going to see before they say, all right, that's, that's enough. It is what it is at this point. Wainwright telling Benjamin Hockman, I saw the article by Hockman in the Post-Dispatch, or at least on STL Today Wednesday night, that basically people are judging his recent starts on, oh, he's done, or oh, he's not done, and Wainwright says, I look at it differently. I've got six weeks of baseball, a month and a half of baseball, and I'm not going to quit, so here I am trying to make the most of that time, and that is very much the type of quote that you would expect to hear from Adam Wainwright. It's been in line with what he has said all season long. Even when things were looking bleak, even when it had gone beyond bleak and into something else entirely where people say, realistically, you just can't expect to see good things from him with how many bad things you've seen consecutively from him. I have said I'm not going to uh, count him out. I'd go down with this ship when it came to Adam Wainwright, but I am, yeah, I'm losing faith. It's getting a little bit difficult to sit here and and say, yeah, I think he's going to turn things around. He is an eternal optimist, and he is continuing to say all the right things and and put it out publicly that he believes he's going to find it. I, how much he believes that internally, I have no idea. This has got to be a dark place for Adam Wainwright to be. It's a place he's really never been. Even when he was in his kind of dark times circa 2018 or so before finding some health at the end of that season, regaining some confidence, and basically overhauling his approach to training and everything that he went about doing, ahead of 2019, I want to say, was the proper timeline for that, and then found a healthy season and then kind of reclaimed the ace status on the Cardinals in 2020, guiding them through the COVID year. 21 and 22 were really good seasons. Go check the numbers. Google is free, my friends. Wainwright was that guy from 2020 to 2022. And then September of last year happened. We sort of chalked that up to him talking about the mechanical issues that he hadn't been diligent enough to catch as early as he wished he would have with video review and things of that nature. So everybody came into this season thinking, all right, we don't really know what version of Adam Wainwright we're going to get, but nobody thought it was going to be like this. Even if you were a detractor, a proud detractor of Adam Wainwright in September 2022, there is no way you could have predicted one of the worst starting seasons by a pitcher like ever. For Adam Wainwright, 8.780 RA. I don't know how... Many guys in the history of Major League Baseball have been given the number of opportunities that Wainwright is getting and is at least continuing to get for one more day on Thursday. With numbers like he's put up, ERA potentially could balloon to nine if he has another bad outing on Thursday. And it's not early anymore. It's it's mid-August. So I don't know. I'm not saying I'm predicting bad things for Wainwright tomorrow. He has pitched against the Mets this year, and it was really one of his more decent starts in recent memory right before the London series, I believe, is when he had faced the Mets and looked relatively solid. We'll see if he can channel that once again, but his stuff has just looked really flat coming out over the last few weeks and even going back prior to the IL stint. Since the IL stint, it's hard to look at it and go, oh, well, I, I got some soft contact against me again. No, I don't think that's a valid excuse anymore. Because I think savvy lineups on the other side can look at it and say, Waino's stuff is not spinning like it was. It's not reacting. It's not moving. The velocity, we know, isn't really anything to write home about. So if you can sit on these pitches, and if he misses up in the zone, you can just dunk him over the second baseman, dunk him into left field, take your base hits when that's what Wainwright's giving you. I think savvy lineups have been able to do that, and it's partially why he's given up so many hits. I don't think he has to be giving up three home runs and a start for you to go, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't good. No, I think lineups can sort of treat it like batting practice. When Again, I'm not trying to be demeaning, but when Wainwright's pitches are looking the way that they have looked recently, it's not rocket science to say here's the way that they could approach you in order to wait on your mistakes, not try to hit them over the wall, but just take their base, take their base hit, take their double, and continue to get the line moving. Lineups have done that to Adam Wainwright recently. They've gotten their fair share of home runs against him too. So Wainwright's got to be pinpoint when it comes to the command. He's got to keep hitters off balance. Hopefully the curveball is sharp. That's really going to be the equalizer. But we have seen too many times this season Wainwright just has not had the sharpness to his curveball that he is accustomed to seeing. And man, that has to be a lonely feeling when you're out there and thinking, I don't even have my equalizer to go to right now. And you just have to try to get through on grit and guile, and Wainwright's been one of the best to ever do that over the past handful of years, getting by on just his ability to be a pitchmaker. Will he be able to do it on Thursday against the Mets? I maintain, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to say this, but I maintain that if he gets 199, 200 is going to come for him in the next start. But he may not get a next start if Thursday doesn't go well, so let me know what you're thinking as a Cardinals fan in the comments section here on YouTube. Make sure you hit like on this video and subscribe on this channel for Cardinals baseball talk all year round. But I want to hear from you guys on the comments. What are you thinking as far as Adam Wainwright's outing coming up Thursday in St. Louis? Is this one where he can get back on track, pick up that win? I think it's going to be difficult to get the pitcher win for Wainwright on Thursday, as important as it is. I mean, that's what everybody's waiting to see from him at this point in time. But it's going to be tough against Quintana, who we know at Busch Stadium, he likes to pitch there. He's pitched there well. And if he goes five or six innings and only gives up a couple of runs, Wainwright's going to i mean, going to have to pitch a gem to be able to be in line to win the game, even when he departs it after a purported good outing. Like, let's say he gets through six. Can he leave with a lead? The Cardinals offense are going to have to do that for him. And they just finished getting shut out by the Athletics on Wednesday. So... We'll see what O can come up with, but let me know in the comments section what's your confidence level when it comes to Adam Wainwright right now. I know that it's been a dark period, but wouldn't it be something to see him turn things around? Do you have any faith that he's going to be able to do it on Thursday? Let me know in the comments, and let me know what you think about this injury situation too. When you've got guys like Tommy like maybe he goes on the injured list. I know the Cardinals are straining to make sure that they maintain the rookie eligibility for Mason Wynn. I legitimately think if Tommy Edmund comes up gimpy over the next couple of days, you're going to see Mason win as early as humanly possible, which I think based on my math is Saturday because he could play shortstop for you. And that could at least resolve one of your lineup questions for now, though, it's probably going to be more moderate and for mean up the middle. And if that's not an indictment on this Cardinal season, I do not know what is other than the record, because that is an indictment as well. Cardinals are 13 games below 500. Prior to today, they were only eight and a half back of the Marlins in the wildcard race, but that's not something that we consider very worthwhile to spend our time on. So we're not going to talk about it much more beyond that. But again, all your questions and your comments, throw them on YouTube, youtube.com slash at B 12. And make sure you guys are subscribed to the Brendan Schaefer channel. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. That is going to do it though for this edition of the show. We will talk to you next time on B Schaefer Daily. Peace.